life update. This episode is going to be super jam-packed and juicy and personal. So buckle up, babies. And as you may know, I left my corporate sales job in April of this year to pursue all of these creative endeavors, namely this podcast and my blog. And I've got a whole bunch of other things that I do as well. But I made a New Year's resolution this year when I was still employed and had no idea how it would end up. And I had one resolution to bet on myself. The problem is when I left my job in April, I had no plan. And here's the problem. I still don't almost five months later. So I thought it would be a good time to catch up with you as there are enormous changes afoot. And some of these changes, I'm going to need your input. And these changes, I don't I don't really know how it's all going to end up. So um, you guys have always been so with me on this journey and I wanted to kind of let you in a little bit. So today I'll give you a little preview of what we'll talk about. And if you've been listening to me for a while, you'll know that I've been doing some pretty, uh, um, I don't know, like pretty unusual things over the past few months of being self unemployed and figuring out what's next. And so Today, I'm going to give you the aftermath of my psychedelic magic mushroom journey. And if you missed the story of the actual experience, go back and listen to episode 150. It was a doozy. I also did my second 12-hour walk, which was a totally different experience than my first. And if you want to hear more about the first time I did it, it was like a month ago, go back and listen to episode 148. But then the big news This podcast is changing again, it's evolving, and I'm going to give you some real behind the scenes stuff as I'm learning. And what I am learning is that I can't do this all myself and I need your help. I would love your input. So keep listening and let's dig in, shall we? First things first, I've heard from you. I can see you leaning into my story. Corporate gal leaves job to be a dance instructor, a media figure, a podcaster, a blogger, a professional walker in nature. Maybe you're listening and cheering me on. Maybe you're considering the similarities between you and me. You've checked all the boxes. You've done what society has told you to do. You have your needs met. So why do you feel that you're itching for more? Searching for what more fulfillment could look like and seeing if you could do it too. If I can do it, maybe you could do, or maybe you're a hate listening to this and hoping I fail and go back to a traditional corporate job. That is okay with me. I appreciate the downloads. They really count. And also about a hate listening. I'm also guilty of that too. Maybe not with podcasts, but I can catch myself on Instagram cursing out people who are a little too perfect for my taste, but I digress. They're all different types, right? But I always feel like these podcast episodes and the blog post to me are like talking to a best friend. And to catch you up if you're a new listener, as I said, I did leave my job in April with no plan. My husband and I decided I would have a limited window to really pursue my passions and make a run at it. And I've been building this podcast for three and a half years. I launched the blog a year ago. And I will quickly note, if you're not receiving my blog post, go to allisonhair.com and sign up. I send them out as an email once a week. They're short, they're personal, they're thought-provoking, and always have something fun at the end. 
the responses I get from you week after week on these are astonishing. And while I don't know that my earnings are reflecting how you guys are responding to what I'm putting out there, but when you email me back and send me these notes, let me just say it is life affirming and I'm very, very grateful for you. Um, and you're sharing how it has helped you tells me you are finding some value. So thank you for that. And also, I became a rebel dance fitness instructor in 2020. So you can see I'm kind of all over the place, right? But I became a dance instructor. I had no dance experience. Back then, it was right before the pandemic. I just stumbled on a dance class that just gave me this endorphin rush and confidence. And I don't know if it was confidence. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. I'm not very coordinated even still. I just couldn't unexperience the the level of joy that I felt when that happened. And I wanted more. And I just went for it. And especially, it was during such a hard time in my life, personally and globally during the pandemic, as, as we all struggled. And so it's been a pillar of some sanity during some crazy times. So I'm kind of giving you uh, a wide swath of a little background on me. And as you can probably tell, I'm multi-passionate and very skilled in certain areas like public speaking and keynotes and writing and broadcasting. I actually have a degree in broadcasting and a long career in sales and now fitness. So what the F do I do with all of this? Well, I decided to actually do nothing when I quit. Nothing. No decisions. Trying to figure out what's next. How am I going to earn money? I continue to faithfully publish my podcasts and blogs on Thursdays as I've been doing and still continuing to keep that running, but I kind of kept it on autopilot. But I made a decision that I wouldn't make any decisions on my career for as long as it took to unravel all the unhealthy programming I run off of. For one, I'm totally type A. My mother pounded it in my head when I was a teenager to never rely on a man for money. Always make your own. And I proudly waved that flag my whole life and career. I earned six figures from the time I was 27 and never looked back. I only wanted more. And I prided myself on being a hard worker and working as as long and as hard as I needed to do. I woke up early, worked out hard. And through all this, I dealt with body dysmorphia and disordered eating for a bit in there as well. I didn't realize how poisonous that thinking could be of trying to reach some type of ideal that if I was skinny enough, if I got rid of the baby belly um, that I had after my kids, then I would achieve some level of happiness. It just, it's so weird, the twists and turns that we all take, and especially when you get to a certain age. You know, everyone's got a little mileage under their belt a little bit. And, you know, that that phrase, never rely on a man for money, always make your own. I had made some mistakes along the way, of course. And when I was in my early 30s, I was so bad with money, I got caught in the trappings of making money and spending way more than I had to look good. And at that time, I was $45,000 in debt. I had to sell my house, had to sell my car. I lived in someone's basement in a townhouse with a girl that could not stand me. All my credit cards were totally maxed out, and I had screwed up majorly. And I'm, I'm the reason why I'm telling you this is because I want, I want you to understand or at least 
you know, maybe you can relate to maybe some of the program that, programming that maybe you got either from your family of origin, from the culture, from your friends, the people that you hung around with. And maybe you can relate to it. And at the time, I was so far in debt. I was $45,000 in debt. I was single. And I knew I didn't want to be a liability for any guy that might want to date or marry me. I had almost felt like I was not worthy of having anyone love me because I couldn't get my finances together. And I remembered the echo of my mom's urgent lesson. I think you can see where this is going. I've had a history of productivity and earning money equaling my value as a human. So without earning money or a job, was I just taking up space? Was I draining resources that I shouldn't have been entitled to without earning my keep? Not to mention this country has some major judgments around stay-at-home moms and their value and biases that I hold as well. So I really had to unlearn some stuff around my own parenting and role as a wife. And this is what I was trying to reprogram. Almost like my body was running on old hardware that was just plain outdated and needed new software. It just wasn't functioning right. And I wasn't happy. There was such a cognitive dissonance. And I wish it was something I could just download and have it upgraded. But sadly, more annoying work is involved to get to a more enlightened state or some somewhere that feels a little more like peace. So when I left my job, I spent the summer trying to go inward. Meditation isn't really that easy for me, but I'm trying. Nature helps. So I've spent a lot of time going on hikes or walking in the woods if I can or on trails or anywhere. Just trying to be more quiet and listen to my own intuition's guidance. I refuse to sign up for any coaching programs or anything to speed up the process so I could trust myself more. This was really challenging. It has been so freaking hard to do. And I have been guilty of trusting many snake oil salesmen and some legitimate coaches that I would just throw money to and just help me quickly learn and calm this relentless restlessness. And while I have a working knowledge of many tricks through a lot of coaching programs and all kinds of stuff that I've signed up for, retreats, uh, therapy, whatever it is, none of it was the silver bullet. I am the only silver bullet. And as I mentioned, I did do a 12-hour walk last month and again this past weekend. And the points for it were twofold. For one, the 12-hour walk is a solo journey. No phone, no podcast, no company, no music, no audiobooks. Just walk out your door and let your feet take you where they will. The second is that it's designed to have you notice any limiting beliefs that come up. So if you're listening and thinking, 12-hour walk. I couldn't do that. I don't have time. I don't want to be by myself for that long. I don't want to be with my own thoughts. I need to get in shape first. It's just not a good time. I could do six hours, but not 12. I would say stop and pause. And I would ask yourself, where else in your life do these unhelpful thoughts stop you from where you would really kind of deep down inside want to move forward? If your body is capable, what could you learn? What could you accomplish? 
It truly is a mindset. And the founder of this initiative, his name is Colin O'Brady. Colin O'Brady is a 10-time world record breaker holder. World record holder breaker? No, a world record breaker, an expeditionist, best-selling author, and he calls it the possible mindset. So I did it for the first time uh, about a month ago, and the first six or seven hours were fine, but the back half, oh, it was rough but I did it. And more on that in episode 148, if you want to go back and listen and get all the details and nuts and bolts about it. The second time, it was a different experience actually. And I found myself, and this is just recently in the past couple of weeks, I found myself in a very familiar place, overscheduled. And when I'm overscheduled, to me, it feels like, ah, Yes, I'm back. I'm worthy. It feels like self-worth, even though it's fabricated, even though I'm not earning money from all the things that I'm doing. And when I've got too much going on, I no longer have time to think or be alone with my thoughts. And that has been a predictable pattern that I've known for so many years to just book from the moment you get up to the moment you go to sleep and uh, be running from thing to thing to thing to thing. And uh, my hope was that going into this walk is to maybe recenter myself again because I kind of lost connection to my intuition because I was running on empty and running tired and overscheduled. And even though there's a lot of stimulus coming from doing and producing and writing and doing a lot of things and helping out other um, people in certain ways, it felt like, ah, yes, this, this, this feels good again. But I was like, uh, 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 it's time to slow down. So, uh, I did it last Saturday for starters. It was raining. I mean, more like misting, but I had my hair colored and blown out the day before. So originally my goal was just to keep my hair looking good. Now, if you know me or have seen me on Instagram, when I style my own hair, it looks like complete crap 100% of the time. So when I have it done, I try it. I don't have it done. Well, I have it done enough. I don't, uh, I color my grays every four weeks, but when I have it done, I try and make it last for eternity when in reality, I might be able to get a few days out of it. So I wore a rain jacket and I packed a small umbrella. I had a little backpack with me with a ton of snacks, but this time, I wanted to go a different route. And there's an area, I live in Atlanta, there's an area of Atlanta called Druid Hills nearby. It's this beautiful suburb, I guess, of Atlanta, in Atlanta. It used to be one of the original suburbs. And it has five historic little parks in a row. It's called Olmstead Linear Park. Now, sidebar about Olmstead, about Frederick Law Olmstead. At the turn of the 20th century, he was a famous... Uh, in demand. He had designed some of the most famous and most impressive parks throughout the nation along with his sons. You might have heard of these parks. Maybe you've heard of Central Park or Piedmont Park in Atlanta or my beloved Biltmore Estates in Asheville, North Carolina. All the grounds were designed by Frederick, Frederick Olmsted Sr. and his sons. And they are super small parks that are in the middle of a very busy thoroughfare in Atlanta called Ponce de Leon that runs from Atlanta through Decatur, Georgia. And so, I mean, at this point, I had 12 hours to kill, so I had some time. And I went the opposite way when I started. I went, um, I didn't quite go over to Olmsted Linear Park right out of the gates. I went the opposite direction, about 
2.3 miles to go to this cool little meditative rock maze called the Labyrinth, which is off of the Atlanta Beltline. And I discovered this the last time I went on a walk. And it's this hidden little gem that I went to last time and I wanted to set my intentions there. It's like this healing meditation spot. And they, um, at this point, you know, like it was still raining. My body felt good. I wore different shoes this time. I wore my hiking shoes and they're made by Salomon and look like regular walking shoes with some more rugged support on the soles. And they're called Outpulse if you wanted to look them up. And I swear they were champion shoes. No blisters this time. But also I put band-aids on my outer two toes before my walk as that's where the blisters formed last time. So that seemed to be a good plan. Okay, so feeling pretty good walking around. I couldn't save my hair. So I ended up stopping back home to get a hat. I don't love hats because I'm grossed out by sweat, but whatever. It helped shield my face. And I made my way towards the linear parks, which I was excited to explore. And I pass them all the time in cars, you know, and often go to the the very last park called Deep Dean, as it's a small little hiking trail near my kid's school. Uh, It's nestled in this little wooded area. So I'll drop the kids off and hike. And by this time, my lower back was starting to feel the pressure of the weight of the backpack. And I will say that many of my female friends were concerned for my safety. And if you've been paying attention to the news or on Instagram, you'll see a lot of people sharing this, that there have been a smattering of scary abductions for female runners lately. And so my friend Yaya, hey Yaya, she sent me a link to a stun gun flashlight. So I ordered that up immediately on Amazon pronto and kept it with me. Thankfully, I didn't have to use it. But during this trek, I kept thinking about all the decisions I need to make about my career and my financial situation. And I toggled back and forth between trying to notice the beauty that was surrounding me and trying to use the time to think through what to do next. I could feel my frustration bubbling up with not knowing the answers and trying to find the right people that could help me as I'm kind of exploring um, some people or agencies that specialize in marketing and branding strategy. And so feeling a little bit of frustration there and not finding the right people yet, but feeling like I either found people that I didn't trust or just not feeling right about the people I talked to so far. You know, that feeling came over me strongly And I'm sure you could probably relate to this, that I should have been further by now. I should have had this figured out. And so those feelings, and these feelings are insidious, and I know they're not helpful, but Jesus, they come up. What if I screw up our family's stability? What if I jeopardize my kid's college fund or their tuition? They're both in private school. What if we run out of money? It will all be my fault if we do. It's an interesting place to be. And I've been exploring the idea of two opposing truths. And this weighed on me heavily during the walk. As much as I talk about not having a job, the truth is that my full-time job is determining my next step. And it occupies my brain 24-7. And in this case, in that case, I'm definitely focused on it. And my husband, 
who has truly been my greatest supporter, said to me the other night when we were lying in bed, he said, honey, I'm really proud of you. And I said, for what? He said, I can see you're going for it. And I know that you're going to need to invest money. And while that really scares me, I know you're going to come out on top. Oh, oh man, I needed to hear that. I'm so critical of myself. Like I'm one bad move away from ruining everything. It's a lot of pressure. And I imagine if you're listening to this and you have a career and some stability and something that you kind of like and it, you know, you're used to it, you've climbed the ladder and you're probably thinking, yeah, I bet I would feel that way if I left. It's a lot of pressure on, you know, the rest of the family. I'm grateful that I have, uh, have a partner in this because I don't know, um, I don't, you know, like there are ways to do everything right. But Um, it's a lot of pressure and there's so much worthiness that's embedded in all of this and something I'm deeply, deeply working on in every area. So, but on the other hand, I'm really grateful. I made it to the first park. It's called Springdale Park. And I wish it wasn't so rainy because it was so pretty. And I remember my kids taking family Christmas pictures there during the pandemic when everything felt so scary and sad. But there's one small pathway through the parks, a little walkway, kind of like a little sidewalk that goes through. And as I went through the next parks, Oak Grove, Shadyside, Delwood, I was so grateful for the beauty of this. I noticed there was what seemed to be a hidden trail. I still don't know what the trail is or where, what park it was in or attached to. And I always get excited to see trails, especially because... I had my hiking shoes on and went down this little path. And as I mentioned, I live in the city and it's busy. It's never quiet. And there's always a hum or cars and sounds of city life everywhere. And so it's hard to find quiet or even a place to feel alone or feel like you're not being watched. Not that I am paranoid, but there are always people around. So you always feel on some level that you're always... you can't disappear right but down here it feels so pretty full of woods and knock down trees and streams and little bridges and interesting rock formations in this little wooded area it was small but it felt like a total oasis I was so excited for when I came out I saw a golf course and a sign for Kenlar Park. I was like, where the F am I? I figured out how to get back to the original plan and did it. And, you know, just a little note about where am I? I never know where I am. And because I didn't have a phone, I didn't have GPS, you know? And so I um, I am terribly directionally challenged. But the next stop after those four parks was Deep Dean Park. And I love it there. It's the only wooded trail of these parks. And the final one is you walk into Decatur. And it's super small, but typically not very well populated. And at this point, my legs were starting to feel fatigue and my feet were a little sore by this point. You know, I was trying to be present, but I didn't want to focus on the pain. And by this point, it was after 12.20 p.m. I'd been walking for over five hours. I left uh, like at 7.10. And I'd walked uh, 10 miles away uh, already. And and so I had almost seven hours left. So I didn't want to focus on the pain or the rest of the experience would suck. 
So I just kept thinking about how grateful I am for my body to support me in this way. I knew I would finish. I did it before. I could do it again. And my body is capable. So there was never a question of turning back or quitting midway. I mean, theoretically, I could sit in a chair outside for six of the 12 hours if I wanted to, as long as I was alone and unplugged and still be a finisher. It wasn't about speed or distance. It was about being alone with your thoughts. And right now, I was hungry and feeling like I needed to give thanks to my body. My body, which I've spent years cursing for my for not bouncing back after having babies and for not fitting into the tight dresses I used to easily wear and having different shapes and different lumpiness that uh, I wasn't so appreciative. And now I'm seeing my body for how it always protected me and supported me and healed me. That's its job. It was a whole different mindset and that felt pretty remarkable. And also feeling so thankful for this freedom to roam and expand and not be in a hurry or rush anywhere. I was just soaking it all in. It felt like a gift. So hold that thought because it does change its tune. If you think the whole thing was sunshine and rainbows, it wasn't. Anyway, by this point, it had stopped raining. Although it's wet outside and had warmed up, it was kind of humid by that point. And I kept thinking of my husband and my kids who've been so supportive of my escapades and my dreams, even though I don't have the answers or a plan. And I remember my husband saying, can't you please just text me for proof of life somewhere. And I'm like, nope, you'll see me. It's after seven at night and that's it, you know? So after that, I kept walking through the heart of busy downtown Decatur Square. Decatur is this cute little town that is kind of bustling, you know? A lot of, it is a suburb. It is east of Atlanta. And I was hungry And I didn't want to eat like crap as I needed my body to run well. I think at this point, you know, whenever I have Chick-fil-A, like I don't usually eat fast food, but when I do, it's Chick-fil-A. And I always feel like crap when I'm like immediately, I just feel like it's, and I did not want to feel that way for the whole ride. So I'm kind of looking around and finding, you know, what restaurant would, could I stomach that could be satiating, could be healthy. Um, and give me some good fuel to run. And at this point, I'd almost five hours left to go. So I wanted to find something healthy-ish. And as I roamed around, I stopped into a fitness and dance studio that is all about body positivity. And you know, I was in there trying to pitch teaching rebel fitness there. But anyway, I was trying to limit my interactions with people. You know, you're of course, you're going to talk to people and order a coffee or whatever it is, but you're not going to sit down and just strike up a conversation for 40 minutes. The whole purpose is to be by yourself. So I was trying to limit my interactions with people. So I kept going and I stopped at Chipotle. Yeah, that I guess was my version of healthy for the day. They were severely understaffed. So I had to wait quite a bit on line and my legs were like, oh, they were so tired. And I was so tempted excuse me, I was so tempted to ask someone to tell me the weather forecast as when I looked before I left, it was forecasted to have a total downpour in the afternoon. But I didn't, I didn't, I would have normally had my face buried in my phone, but I wanted to stay true to the mission. So no phone, my phone was on airplane mode. Of course it was there for in case of emergency. It was a lot easier than I thought actually to, um, to not have my phone. 
And probably because I was in motion, I wasn't thinking about it. And, you know, I had mentally planned that I wasn't going to be on it. So it was just, yes, of course, I had things I would have loved to have texted or gotten done, but it was, it was kind of nice to unplug. And so when I would have that, that downtime, I would just sit in a be- on a bench or, you know, sit at lunch. And I would just write in my journal when I would sit down and take breaks. And by this time, I was really feeling tired and sore. I had my little tacos and I put my feet up on another chair as I ate my lunch and jotted down how I was feeling. And I'm telling you, food tastes a thousand times better when you're on a 12-hour walk. Everything tasted amazing. I did have snacks and stuff packed in my backpack, but again, my mind went back to my career journey journey and our financial status. And I wondered, could I ever just surrender and let it be okay? Could I just let go? Anyway, I was getting so tired and started to head back and I got a little lost heading back. No surprise. Like I said, I've got a terrible sense of direction and I had to ask someone, you know, passing by for directions to somewhere familiar. And I loved going through a different area that is so close to where I live, but I never go on it. And it's called Freedom Park. It has some beautiful artwork along the way. And I ended up finding a bench uh, by about quarter to five. I still had two and a half hours left. My legs were throbbing. My feet were stinging. And I was so over this walk by then. And I was like, F Colin O'Brady, F this walk. This is so stupid. Why did I say yes to this? And at this point, I'm too preoccupied with the soreness of my body and my exhaustion to appreciate all the pretty trees and art. I didn't even bother taking out my phone to take pictures so I could kind of have it in a in a gallery of some sort of, of my own. And I stopped, you know, taking pictures. I was just grumpy. But I gutted it out. I walked all the way to Little Five Points, um, which in Atlanta is this teeny little spot that's very eclectic and always interesting area near my house and was just ready to ride out the rest. I couldn't wait to get home, put my feet up and take an Epsom salt bath, which is exactly what I did. And my daughter, Juliana, missed me so much that she jumped in the bath with me and just talked to me about whatever she wanted. And that night I ended up sleeping for 10 straight hours, which never happens. And even the next day, my body wanted more rest, even though, you know, my, my legs felt fine. I mean, they were certainly a little bit sore, but not like debilitating. And I tried to push myself to get stuff down and my body was like, nope. So I took a nap instead and just let it be okay to not push myself. And so, so many people especially the first time, we're very interested in learning about this walk. And some were inspired to do it, like my past guests, Cindy Robinson and Janine Janot. They both went walking that same day too. And what's even more interesting are the excuses people tell you why they can't do it when you share that you're going to do a 12-hour walk. And that made me think more about why we stop ourselves in so many areas, And we'll put a pin in that when I talk about the new direction of my podcast. By the way, if you want to hear all of these episodes ad-free, sign up to be a Culture Changers supporter at patreon.com forward slash culture changers. Now, I know I promised I would talk to you about the psychedelic journey aftermath as well. For the first time in my life in August, 
I did a psychedelic assisted healing ceremony along with talk therapy. And you've probably heard all of the science-based research coming out that the net benefits of psychedelics in a controlled environment paired with talk therapy are helping to reduce or eliminate depression, anxiety, OCD, panic attacks, fear of flying, alcoholism, anorexia, eating disorders. I mean, I'm not saying it's a panacea, but there's some serious evidence coming out that is so promising. So I decided to do this in a safe and controlled environment. Essentially, it was a tribal ceremony in a really beautiful healing space in Atlanta that was led by a shaman and a medicine woman with the help of some trained facilitators. Again, I would highly recommend listening to episode 150 for more detail as I've already talked about it here already. But now I got, during the ceremony, I got some really clear messages, which you can go back and hear about. It was so clear and vivid and kind of answered some of the questions I was asking. And what I wasn't expecting is how much has unfolded afterwards that I couldn't wait to share with you. And the shaman, the medicine woman, they said, you know, the, the medicine will work for the days and weeks and months and sometimes months afterward. And I'm like, it's kind of rolling my eyes like, right, okay. Um, maybe not for me, but it was 100% true. So let me unpack what happened. The way they describe psilocybin or magic mushrooms is it has a dissociative effect. In other words, it separates you from your ego. They call it the ego killer. So if you imagine yourself in a jar, you can't read the label while you're in it. But the right dose of psychedelics can expand your perception in a way where not only can you see yourself, you can see the label, the jar, and everything around it in context with the greater universe. It's pretty cool. So if you've been listening for a while, I can't wait to share. Ah, I'm a little embarrassed to share this too. Uh, if you've been listening for a while, you'll know what I've that I've really gone through some challenges with my ideas around adult friendships and almost redefining the meaning of friendship, what it means to me, what it should be, the work that's involved, and maybe some of the misconceptions that I've had and kind of placed around friendships and maybe some unrealistic expectations I've had on people around me. And there are certain friendships that I've had that at one point, just like all of us, we're a lot closer, closer, and we've gone through some real stuff together. And sometimes I really grieve when friendships evolve in a way where we drift apart and it's not as close anymore. And I, I personally tend to take it really personally. And it's something that I'm working through. I'm actually uh, what's considered a highly sensitive person who happens to be an extrovert, which is like... 6% of the population. So I, I'm actually doing an episode on that. I have a specialist, Jen Turnham, coming on. So we'll talk more about HSP extroverts. But after this experience, I started to look at my friendships with a new perspective. It became a lot easier to kind of understand the purpose each person had in my life, whether it was past, present, future, or not at all. And I got the courage to be honest about my real feelings about one of the friendships that meant a lot to me. And it was something I put off because I was afraid that 
I wouldn't be worthy of keeping around if I had shared how I really felt. Well, it turns out I felt so much better sharing respectfully and honestly, even though it wasn't the most pleasant exchange, it felt freeing. I felt like I had removed a big block in my personal relationships, like all around. And so having started with this person that was very important in my life, it felt liberating, like, yes, this makes perfect sense. This person, you know, or the way that my life is now, I can be a lot more selective and understand the importance and the value that this person had in my life at one point. And now it just evolved in a different way. And, uh, and that's okay. And let it go. It was really just kind of releasing the rope that I was trying to hold so tightly and let it go. And I felt untethered. I felt liberated. And I remembered when Megan Gillespie, who has been on my show, she is a therapist. She said she did a, an episode about boundaries with me in a previous episode. And she said, the number one indicator that a boundary is needed is when you harbor resentments. And I thought, okay, who else do I feel resentments about? Who can I share my truth and keep it real? I felt like I had grown 10 feet. And I did actually take some steps in that direction, which even though it wasn't the most comfortable exchanges, they felt truthful, they felt right, they felt respectful, and they felt complete. The other way that I've seen the plant medicine continuing to work is with problems that may come to the surface. So I told you it has a dissociative effect. And I've noticed that when problems come up, after having this experience, they do tend to be or feel more painful. In other words, I'm so much more sensitive than I ever remember being. But what it does is instead of my body and mind reacting as it normally does, and usually that is like clutched and stressed and, you know, kind of fist tight and, and, you know, feeling hurt or whatever it is, almost like autopilot, it suspends that feeling in the air and invites me to take a look at it and do something different creating a new neural pathway and a new reality. So while it hasn't taken all the problems away, it's very clear that I have a new tool and that I'm creating new pathways and new possibilities. I didn't know that I was aware of before or even had the ability to change. So I could feel my confidence growing and a stronger intuition coming through. So I'll keep you posted more on that. I feel like I'm kind of being vague on it because so much of it is still unfolding with it. So, um, and lastly, this podcast, what is happening next? Well, it looks like I'm working on a rebrand and it's going to be narrowing the focus. And I would love to hear from you. Would you be more interested in exploring the limitations society has systematically put on women and how we've internalized those limitations that we put on ourselves and how we break free and reach for more in our own lives? Or do you want to keep hearing a personal account of my journey and an invitation to come along with me on the ride? Because... It's been such an interesting perspective to go from 
employed to like just out there without a raft kind of thing and figuring out how to swim. It's a little teaser, but no, I've got so much I'm working through. It does feel like I'm putting my feet to the fire and betting on myself, as I said, right at the top of this episode, and finally doing the hard internal work of self-discovery. I would invite you as the listener to consider my stories today and ask yourself, what is one small step you can do today that will interrupt the predictable pattern you find yourself in? Do you feel deep down that you are made for more? Maybe that step is something tiny that opens the door for something else. Your brain is wired to expand when you try something new. Maybe that's taking a new route to work. Maybe that step is taking a walk outside at noon or signing up for that fitness class you were afraid to take and just saying, screw it, let me just do this. Or writing your true feelings in a journal for the first time. All it takes is one tiny step and your brain begins to open up. Now, if you want to hear these episodes ad free, go to patreon.com forward slash culture changers and know you are supporting an independent creator at the same time. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.